football game or two. Cleveland Browns won a football game today. I'm just beside myself with I know you don't really care, but people from where I come from, this is life and death for them, and it's usually death. So anyway, thank you for coming. Thank you for choosing the good part to be here. Um, let me just do this first of all so that this won't be an issue later. There's just a few items left, but, you know, if anything sells out and you still want it, you can. we have order forms back there. You can place the order, just add a little shipping to it, and we'll stick it in an envelope and send it right to your house. Okay, so don't be... You know, bummed out if there's something that you wanted and it's sold out. This happens frequently. So we have the order forms. But this is the last book that we have that's not yet been purchased. So, oh, no, this has been purchased. This is Brad's book, wherever Brad is. Oh, Brian's book. Okay, Brad or Brian. All right, so this is gone. Sorry. But if you um, would like this, there's plenty more where this came from back in Arizona in our office, and we'll be happy to send it to you if you missed your opportunity. Please take advantage of this. It's a good read. Um 35 years of experience went into writing this. It actually took me longer to write this one than any of the others. Uh, normally, when I write books, it just kind of, it's a flow. You get into it, God says do it, and there's an anointing on it, and you just start rolling with it. This one took a lot longer. I took time to pray and, and walk away from it for a while and then come back to it, and walk away from it for a while and come back to it. So a couple years it took to really get this one finished. So anyway, Brian here, this is yours. Thank you for allowing me to use it. Uh, this one, we do have a few left. This one is an excellent teaching from Acts 22.10. Acts 22.10 is a verse that contains in it six uh, elements to finding and defining your purpose in life. Many Christians live their entire life and never find their purpose. They just kind of go to church. They read their Bible. They do a few good things here and there. You know, they, uh, you know, help out at the community food bank or whatever, but they just don't, don't really know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. And so there's it, you know, you're never too late to find out. You're never too old to get in the game. Okay. God can use everybody at any stage of their lives, no matter where they are, what's going on. He can still plug them in and use them and anoint them. So this is a, um, a a series teaching that will help you. I have here uh, many Christians love the Lord but still have no sense of purpose for their life. Why are we here? What are we to do? How do we accomplish things for the Lord that become spiritually meaningful? Okay? I want to be able to stand before the Lord someday and, and live a life knowing that I lived a life that meant something that was uh, productive and meaningful for the Lord. Not meaningful for me necessarily, but something that he found value in. Uh, reaching people, helping people, not just, you know, gaining a diploma or earning money or buying homes and other things. I want a life that meant something spiritually, okay? This will help you get there. If you don't have this one, I'd recommend it to you. You can do what I do. I just plug it into my computer, connect my iPod to it, and download it to the MP3, and I just put these away, and I just carry this with me with the iPhone. So, <coughs> excuse me. So anyway, those are available, and take advantage of those if you haven't already done so because it's a good good teaching material, and it will definitely help you along life's way, okay? So let's carry on with where we started this morning. We are living in perilous times. We never really mentioned that verse, but we referred to it frequently throughout the course of the message this morning. Perilous times. For the unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus, these are perilous, scary, uncertain times. We don't know the future. It's very uh, uncertain Social, cultural things are changing, you know, 
people are uh, falling away from the Bible, they're falling away from church, they're falling away, and even many church members are being deceived. One of the first signs that Jesus said would be an indicator that he's coming back. In fact, it was the first thing he said, take heed that no man deceive you. There are many, many, many Christians being deceived in many different ways. That's another subject for a different time. But the point is, we are living in very troubling times, and we're talking about how to live victoriously in the troubling times, if I may paraphrase, not to be troubled like everybody else in these troubling times in which we live. We started talking about that earlier today, and we used Mary and Martha as the prime examples of what to do and what not to do. Okay, I don't want to be Mary. I don't want to be a Martha. I want to be a Mary. I want to be somebody who sits at the feet of Jesus and prioritizes my life concerning spiritual things, not carnal things, not natural things. Okay, so we talked about those two sisters and separated the difference between the two. So Jesus told Martha, you know, listen, your problem is that you're worried and troubled about many things, and I just want to make sure today, tonight, here, you're not worried and troubled about many things. Okay. If you have children, you know, and they're not serving the Lord, just don't get uptight about it. Just put them in the hands of the Lord. He'll take good care of them. He'll keep them alive until they come back to their senses and come find Jesus, just like the prodigal son. The Bible says he came to himself. And the, what, what we want to do is surround people like this with our prayers and our faith so that they are, they are not attacked by the enemy fatally so that they can come to their senses at some point along the way and come back to the Lord, okay? And so, again... No reasons to be upset and troubled about many things like Martha was. But Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen the good part. One thing is necessary. And we began to look at what that one thing is comprised of. I have seven things here in my notes. We covered the first two. First of all, first of all focus on the word of God, not the word of men. In other words, you're going to hear many voices in the world from many people. Most of these voices are from people that don't know what the Bible says. They don't have faith in God. They're not even saved, many of these people. So don't let their opinions and their words upset you, okay? Let your life be balanced by and run by and boundary by, boundaried or governed by the word of God and no other word. His word is final authority, okay? And that's what Mary had identified. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. So, you know, that's where we start. Focus on the word of God, not the word of men. Number two, second thing we covered was the fact that in order to um, be pleasing to the Lord, we need to develop our faith. And when we develop our faith, we need to be joyful about it. Okay? I just, uh, you know, we never looked at verses, but I just write these down in your notes and you can check them out later because we didn't give you verses for that point. We just got got, got caught up in the commentary of the point. Uh, Philippians 1.25, just mark it down and you can look at these later under that second point. Philippians 1.25, it talks about the joy of faith. Now you will find if you study on faith, joy is always close behind it or just around it. And if you study on joy, faith will be close behind it or just around it. They always go together because you really can't have one without the other. You need the joy to express your faith. Okay, Joy is the expression of your inner conviction if i'm really trusting god there will be joy in my life happiness may come happiness may go but the joy stays because i know god will never leave me or forsake me 
Amen. Even if the doctor says otherwise or the banker says something different or family members leave us and you know, they tell us, I'm never talking to you again. You're, you, you've become crazy Christian and so forth. Whatever happens in the family and so forth, never mind. Just remember faith and joy work together and maintain that faith so that God has something to work with. Okay. Um, here's another one. First Peter chapter one, verses seven through 10, just like that verse. First Peter chapter one, verses seven through 10. Just check them out later. These are all verses that will show you that uh, joy is a spiritual fruit that Satan cannot disrupt. Okay. Uh, and then of course the classic Nehemiah eight ten. this tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if there's no joy in your life, then you have to back up and ask yourself why. Because remember what Jesus said. He said, when all these bad things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. He wants us to be joyful even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulties. He wants us to be joyful and expecting his return at any moment to live our lives that way. Okay. So those were the first two. Number one, focus on the word of God, not the word of men. Number two, stay strong in faith and joy. Number three, we'll move along quickly. Each of these is a message unto itself, but we're just giving the high spots. In the last days, to avoid becoming troubled in troubling times, we need to pray more. Most Christians don't pray very much. And if they do, they only pray when it's a crisis and they need God's help and intervention for the crisis of the moment. But most Christians have never developed a real prayer life, a disciplined prayer life. We have disciplines for many other things, but not prayer. Whether we realize it or not, prayer is the gateway to all of the exceedingly great and precious promises because we have been given dominion on the earth. Now, most Christians don't know this or don't believe this or haven't been taught this. But when God created Adam or when he was talking about creating Adam and Eve back in Genesis, when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were talking about us, and God said, let us make man. Remember that little confab they had, the little internal memo? Let us make man in our image, and let them have dominion on the earth. Let them have dominion. And prayer is the greatest expression of that dominion. Many people are waiting for God to do things, when in reality, God's waiting for us. We have the dominion down here. We always have. All right. And prayer is one of the greatest ways to exercise that dominion. Okay. Many things don't get done because people don't pray. And then they blame God when in reality, they don't realize that God was waiting for them to take their proper place of dominion and pray things through or pray things out, whatever, however you care to describe it. But Again, using joy from point two, moving into point three about the importance of prayer, the Bible says in Psalm 1611, in God's presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. In other words, the more time I spend with him, the more joyful I become. Now, I don't know about you, but I know by experience that many times when I'm under the gun and I'm up against the wall and pressure and stress is applying itself against me and persecution and whatever else, when I take the time to go into my prayer closet and just wait on the Lord and talk things over with him, it has a very therapeutic effect on me inside. I I leave that place of prayer reassured, comforted, strengthened. Uh, I've got my perspective back. I'm not so, you know, frazzled anymore. You know, I I just, I've been reminded who I am and who God is in my life and the fact that he'll never leave me. And if he be for me, nobody can be against me. So it's a very therapeutic thing for me. 
And I believe it would be the same for you. And for many of us who don't spend that kind of time with God the way that they should. They're too busy. They're like the Martha person running around, you know, making things happen and running back and forth and so forth. The Martha mentality rather than the Mary mentality. Okay? Look at Philippians 4 6. Philippians 4 6. Thank you, Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Praise the Lord. Okay, Philippians 4, 6. Here's what it says. Be anxious. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right? Be anxious for how much? Nothing. Anxious being worried. Worry about nothing. Now, I've got to tell you, most Christians that I've met are world champion worriers. They've perfected the art of worrying about things they don't have any control over. There is no point. And I've always said, and it's good, it's good to preach to myself as well as to you. It's a good reminder even to me. What you worry about doesn't change what you worry about. So there's no point in worrying about it. You know, if you worry about losing your job, the worry isn't going to protect your employment. If you worry about uh, not having enough money to pay your bills, the worry won't put the money in your pocket to pay the bill. If you're worried about getting sick, well, then that worry won't uh, keep you from being sick. It fa in fact, it might uh, accelerate the sickness in you, okay, might make it worse. And if the doctor says you're going to die prematurely, your worry about it won't change that, okay? El some, um, something else will called faith, but not the worry. So when he says be anxious for nothing, he means it. You know, there's no upside to worry. There's no positive to it. Okay, it's just wasted negative energy that you're empowering the devil with. You're giving him free ammunition to use against you with worry and fear, and there's no reason for that, okay? He's a liar. He'll always tell you the lies that he wants for you to believe, hopefully, to generate fear in your heart, and when he is successful in doing that, he has you where he wants you. You are under his authority because fear drives the devil like faith drives God. In fact, fear is faith perverted. It's, perverted. it's perverted faith. It's faith in the wrong things. Fear, if you really boil it down in its purest form, fear is the inner conviction that God will fail me in the clutch. That's really what fear is. You can nail it down, boil it down. But fear is basically the conviction in your heart that one or more of the promises of God will fail you when you need it the most. That's fear. Okay? If I know that God's got my back, if I know he'll never leave me, if I know if he be for me, nobody can be against me, if I know that if two or three gather together and agree as touching things and we pray and whatever, if I see these verses in the Bible and I believe them, there's no reason for fear. Okay? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, if I may paraphrase verse 6, the, the Holy Spirit's telling us, worry about nothing... Pray about everything. It's pretty simple. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And then when you pray, leave it with God. Whatever it is you pray about, let him take it. Okay? Don't worry about your kids. God can protect them better than you. Don't worry about your spouse. God can save them and, and protect them better than you can. Don't worry about your education. Don't worry about job opportunities. God's got your back. He knows exactly what's going on, and he'll orchestrate and move things around as long as you stay close to him. Amen? All right, so be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. So ask yourself, just how much time do I spend in prayer? And by the way, when we are spirit-filled the way we are in this church, you can pray in tongues a lot, even though you're doing other things that require mental activity, okay, Uh, or that don't require mental activity, you know, like just habitual things, you know, cleaning the house, washing the dishes, driving around. You can be praying in tongues while you're doing all of these things. And as a result of that, you can maximize your time and be taking care of things in this world while also taking care of things in the spirit world. Amen? Amen. All right. So pray more. That's number three. Okay. Then number four. And this goes right along with number three because in Philippians 4, 6, we're going to read right into Philippians 4, 7. Okay? It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, verse 7, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So, number four, let God's peace rule and reign in your life. Be a peaceful person. Okay? Don't be so stressed out you can't manage the day and every day is just another exercise in anger management. Be a peaceful person. I mean, I have to say this is a challenge for me because I'm a very intense, passionate person about what I believe. And, uh, you know, if I'm not careful, I can easily allow circumstances to rob me of my peace. And, you know, many times God has pulled me aside to correct me and to remind me, hey, you know, You're not supposed to be so stressed out, so angered about these things, and I have to repent because he's right. Okay, I've allowed circumstances, I've allowed people in whatever condition they may be to uh, rob me of my peace, and we can't let that happen. In these last days, you can't be a person that has no peace. You've got to have that because, look, it says there when the peace of God is manifested in your life and it it surpasses all of your understanding, it guards your heart. And guard your mind. It keeps you healthy. And it keeps you mentally alert and mentally with perspective. You don't lose your mind over things. Okay? It, it's actually God's sentinel that protects your heart and protects your mind. Peace. Okay? Look at what Jesus said about it. Go with me to John chapter 14. And these are, of course, you know, verses that you've seen before, but we'll just look at them here. John 14 and verse number 27. This is Jesus speaking. John 14. Thank you. I appreciate that. 14:27. Okay. Here's what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. There it is again. Notice the reference to letting not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay? So, again, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Okay, the world didn't give this to you, and the world can't take it away from you. This is what separates us from everybody else. This is what makes us different. Okay? Uh, Is this, this issue of peace. We need to be peaceful people. We need to be people who have the peace of God that passes all understanding in our heart. It's a witnessing tool. It's a way to present Jesus to people without all the verses, without all the attempts to uh, intimidate people with all of our Bible knowledge, 
whether you know this or not, people are watching us. Amen? They may not tell you that they are, but trust me, they are. They're hiding and watching from a distance. They know who we believe, and they know, you know, that we're Christian, and they know these things, but, you know, they, they haven't bought into this yet, but they're watching and observing. And what they need to see is a peaceful life, a peaceful perspective, something that gives them uh, a magnet or an attraction to the Jesus that we say we serve. Amen? Because Jesus was a very peaceful man. He was very intense. He was very confrontational. He had the perfect balance for all of this. But he was always at peace with who he was and where he was going and what he was supposed to do. He said that to the disciples on many occasions. He said, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. And I know what I'm supposed to be doing in between the two. Amen. He had perspective. He had purpose. He knew it. All right. So he was very peaceful no matter what the enemy was trying to do to him. So he, les- he says here... Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. See, you can't get this anywhere else. And if you lose it, you become just like everybody else. That's the difference. When people come into a church like this, they should sense joy. They should sense uh, excitement. They should also sense peace. They should be around a group of peaceful people. Okay? Now, they can't identify what this is but they can feel it they can sense it they know that there's something different here okay and it's the peace that passes all understanding jesus said you can't get this anywhere else you can't get it in drugs or alcohol or a career or lots of money or success whatever that may mean you can't get it there he said it's my peace and i give it and no one else can give it to you because it comes from heaven and it comes from me so he says don't let your heart be troubled don't let your heart be troubled. Once again, see, if it's troubled, we are to blame. If my heart's troubled, I am to blame. I can't blame you, and I can't blame the circumstances, and I can't blame other people, and I can't blame God. The problem is me. I let my heart become troubled. But if I'm a peaceful person, no matter what's going on, I can keep it together. Amen. I, I don't lose my temper. I don't lose my perspective. I, you know, I just, I have control of my emotions. I have control of my vocabulary. I have control of just everything. I can handle things no matter what's coming against me in, in the ways that it is because of the peace that surrounds me and guards my heart and guards my mind. Okay. So again, back up in these troubling times, how peaceful of a person are you? Especially after you get done watching the news for 30 minutes. How, how much of a peaceful person can you be after listening to all of that? Okay. Death and destruction and tsunamis and tur- uh, hur- hurricanes and tornadoes. And le- what's the latest? The flash flooding in South Carolina, you know, people getting swept away. There's always something going on out there that will rob us of our peace if we let that happen. So be vigilant and don't let that happen. Let God's peace rule and reign in your heart. That's number four. Just a few more. Number five. This is very important. If you want to be a person that is untroubled in troubling times, Be outreach-minded. Keep moving out. Keep moving forward. Keep looking ahead. Keep reaching out. Don't become introverted. Don't become protective. Don't become shy or ashamed and all of these other words. Okay? The more you... Let me... I said it earlier today at the end of the first service, the earlier service, but there is the concerted effort in America by people demonically controlled. They may or may not know they're demonically controlled, but we know they are. Okay, their effort is to shut us down, shut us down, close our mouths, move us to the side, get out of the way. We don't need you. Christianity is not relevant anymore. We're enlightened and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's the the concerted effort 
all over this country from sea to shining sea to wipe out Christianity as the dominant cultural foundation that made this country great. Okay? Now, that being the case, they are trying their best to shut us up in any way they can. But I love the story in Mark's gospel about blind Bartimaeus. Why don't you turn there with me, and I'll use him as an example for what we're talking about. Okay? Blind Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 10. Okay? Verse, let's see. Let's start, let's start with verse 46, okay? Mark 10, 46. Now, you know, you've read about this guy. He's a blind man. He's at the side of the road begging. Okay, so he can't see, but he can hear. And so if you read this from other accounts, okay, he, see, he hears this large group of people passing by. Okay, so he knows something's up. So he cries out and says, what's going on? What is this that I hear? And people are telling him as they walk by, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, he knows who this guy is. Everybody's been talking about the rabbi from Nazareth. They know him. He knows this guy. He knows of him and what he's been doing, healing sick people, crippled people, blind people, just like him. All right, so here's, here it is. Verse 46, now they came to Jericho as he went out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side or by the road begging. So he's just sitting there begging. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling for you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said in reply, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Okay, a wonderful miracle. But that miracle would never have happened if that man had listened to the crowd that was telling him to shut up. I want you to notice. It says in verse 48, many warned him to shut up. This is what's happening in America. They're warning us to shut up. They don't want to hear about us. They want to hear about what we stand for. They want to just move on with their secular progressive agenda, as perverted as it may be. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus and righteousness and purity and all of this. Okay? They're just like these people telling the blind man to shut up. But I love the way he responds. He says, it says, the more they told him to be quiet, the louder he shouted. Because he knew this is my opportunity. This is my one chance, and I'm not going to pass this by. Because if he had listened to these people, he would have died blind, begging by the highway side. He would have sat there for the rest of his life blind, and Jesus would have went right on his way and not even knew the guy was there. But the Bible says the more they called, told him to shut up, the louder he shouted. Listen, the more people tell you to shut up, the louder you should shout. The more they try to shut you down, the more you should get involved in whatever it is out there that proclaims the gospel in ways where you can be involved. Amen. The more they try to shut this church down, the body of Christ in America, the more we need to stand up and be heard. Amen. Amen. And let, let the chips fall where they may. You may lose some friends. You may lose some family, but that's okay because Jesus didn't come to bring families together. This is another point we forget about. 
I've heard all my life, well, now family is more important than ministry. No, it isn't. Not according to Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring families together. I came to split families apart. Father against mother, mother against daughter-in-law, brother against sister. He said, I didn't come to bring families together. I came to split them apart. Okay? And I've heard all my life that, you know what, family and marriage, that's more important than the ministry. I, don't, I, don't, I respectfully disagree with that because I see in the Bible something different. We're going to stand before the Lord, and we're responsible. If you read Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, we are watchmen. We're called to be watchmen, sounding the alarm, sounding the alert. When, you know, when the Bible calls us watchmen and we don't watch, then the blood of the people who get taken away is on our hands because we didn't blow the trumpet, okay? Now, if people don't like that, that's their funeral, not yours. Like I said earlier, don't be so easily offended by rejection and persecution and, and just outright hatred. Some of them just hate us just because we're Christian. They might as well just come out and say, I hate you because you serve Jesus, because that's what it is. But, that, you know, so what? Jesus still loves these people, see? Throwing aside his garment, he rose. Listen, isn't it interesting? Jesus stood and commanded stood still and commanded him to be called then they called the blind man they called the blind man who is the they who is the they that's now telling him rise be of good cheer jesus is calling it's the same bunch of clowns that two seconds ago was telling them to shut up you know this is the world in which we live these this this chameleon kind of mindset we just change with the situation. We change our colors. We change our convictions. We change what we believe. Politicians are excellent at doing this. Politicians change with each rally that they go to. Okay, point being, you know, the same people that were telling them to shut up are now the same people saying, rise, be of good cheer. He's calling for you. And if I'm the blind guy, I'm saying to myself, you know, no thanks to you, he's calling for me. Because if it was, you know, you that I was listening to, I'd still be sitting by the highway side begging until I died a slow and painful death. Don't let, intimid don't let persecution intimidate you. It's going to increase. But that's okay. Like I said earlier, if we all go to jail, let's all go to jail preaching the gospel. And we can still preach it from jail. Amen? It'll make life interesting, you know. Not everybody gets to go to jail. So praise the Lord. Something that you can check off your bucket list praise the lord i've been arrested hallelujah <laughs> don't be intimidated by increased levels of persecution like we've been already referring to you know you watch the news people are already being arrested and put in prison because they will not allow legislation to violate their christian conscience they're not going to do it and that's the kind of position we need to take okay if push comes to shove we'll push back amen all right so be outreach-minded. Keep reaching out. Keep sharing about Jesus. Keep talking about the Lord. Don't let these people shut you up. Okay, number six. Two more to go, quickly. A very important point in the last days, these troubling times, don't become cheap with God. Be generous. Let's just say it that way. Be a generous person. Don't just reach out with the gospel. Reach out with your resources. Be a blessing with what God has given you and share it with other people just as often as you can the way he tells you to. I'm not suggesting you give all your money away and you end up as a poor person. But I'm simply saying live your life from the generous perspective. Be generous with opportunities to be blessing to someone else. That doesn't necessarily mean money. You can be a blessing with a smile, a word of encouragement, uh, you know, a pair of gloves in the winter when someone's hands are cold and they don't have any gloves. Go buy them some gloves. There's all kinds of ways to do this. 
But the point is, look for ways to be generous. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, A generous eye, he that has a generous eye will be blessed. A generous eye means you're always looking for opportunities to sow. At the beginning of this year, uh, January of 2015, my wife and I got together. We looked at our finances. We looked at our bills and, you know, the normal stuff that has to be paid and all of this. And we, you know, along the lines of what I'm talking about here with you, we see the handwriting on the wall. We see financial disaster ahead, you know, how and when, I don't know. No one knows except God. But like I said earlier today, when a country is $17 trillion in debt, we're borrowing money to pay the interest it's that bad, this thing's going to come, come apart at some point sooner or later, probably sooner, but that's between God and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's beyond our control, as I mentioned. But we decided, you know what? We need to put more seed in the ground. We need to be more generous. We need to give God more to work with financially in our lives. And so we made decisions. Now, we've always been a tithing couple, my wife and I tithe, uh, but we decided to really radically stretch and I don't mean just a little dabble, do you? I mean, we have radically made some decisions to stretch in our giving. And, uh, you know, we've just decided that, you know, we're going to finish this race on the generous side of things, and we're, gonna, we're never going to be accused of being cheap with uh, opportunities to bless and opportunities to give. And we've made radical decisions to change the way we just managed our money in that area. And I have to tell you, not only is it a joy to give and to bless somebody, you know, to, and to see their eyes light up when you help them and give them whatever they need or you're an integral part of what they may need, not only is that edifying and rewarding to you personally, but then as you're planting these seeds in the ground, you see God start moving in your life in ways you were standing in faith for but never saw before. I mean, we, we, are, we are getting letters from people giving us money that we haven't heard from in decades. Things like that. Just little things along the way that give God something to work with. Okay? And my point to you here tonight is, you know, if you let God be great, he will be. Amen? And one of the ways that you let him be great is by sowing more seed in the ground. Give him more, give him more seed. Anybody can tell you if they're a farmer, you don't get the better harvest if you don't plant the better seed. You don't get more of a harvest if you don't put more seed in the ground. It's very simple, but it's, again, something simple that most Christians don't practice much of. But I, I encourage you to look at how you can give more and don't look at all the uh, economic indicators that would hold you back from making that kind of decision in your life. Look with me at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4 with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and look with me at verse 4. This is a great verse to illustrate what I'm talking about. Okay, Ecclesiastes, the great book of confusion, chapter 11 and verse number 4. Okay, now you could, look at, you, you, you could start with verse 1. Look there with me, verse 1. A lot of people read this verse. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Okay. Cast your bread upon the water. That's giving. Cast. Give. Cast your bread upon the water. You will find it after many days. But go down to verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. See? If you regard the wind and the clouds and make decisions based upon 
ever-changing things in your life, uh, circumstances, economic indicators, the performance of your stocks and bonds, you know, all of this stuff, and you make decisions based upon the graph and where it's going, okay? If that's what you're doing, you're, you're really doing what verse 4 says. You are observing the wind and you're regarding the clouds, okay? Now more than ever, we need to be generous people. No matter what's going on out there in the world that we think might affect our investments or our financial security, do you understand, of course, that there is no financial security outside of Jesus, Anytime you try to invest in someone's stock or bond, they always have that little disclaimer at the bottom, past performance does not guarantee future performance. You know, that's their out. That's to make sure you know that they don't have any control over the future. They anticipate, they expect, they plan for, but it could all come crashing down, and they're not going to take the blame for it, okay? So you're basically handing them your money and saying, I trust you with this, and if you lose it, well, what can I do about that? But in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing. Even though there's wind and clouds and circumstances and storms of life, continue to sow. Don't look at all that and say, we can't. I don't know how many times over the years I've talked to Christians in financial distress and they've told me they can't give because of, and then there's the long list of issues. They can't give. And I just shake my head and I've, I've told some of them, I said, you know, you're cutting your own throat. There's nothing I can do for you until you make the decision to change that attitude and that mindset and you keep looking at the wind and looking at the clouds and looking at the problems and you say you can't give because. In fact, I was just telling Pastor Mike, uh, I think it was last night, driving around talking a little bit. There was one lady in a church I just went to and we were talking along these lines and the pastor told me that there was a lady in his church that was having financial difficulties and she wanted to ha ask help from the church to try and co consolidate her money and manage her money better. And how can we, you know, because she was making money, but she didn't have any at the end of the month. She couldn't figure out why. So we be they began a very meticulous, you know, itemized categorizing of where her money went for a month, a couple of months, you know, and then found out, as an example, that she was spending $400 a month on lattes. Starbucks lattes four hundred dollars a month see that's an example and then she says i can't give to the church but i can certainly go down to starbucks or seattle's best or some other coffee shop and chug those lattes down three four five times a day 400 bucks a month point being here listen in these last days don't be cheap with god get out there be outreach-minded, be generous with your resources, and put more seed in the ground. There is no such thing as a famine in heaven. And uh, Isaac, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 26, he sowed in a time of famine and received in the same year a hundredfold return. Go back and read that from Genesis. He sowed in a time of famine when everybody else said don't give, and he did. And the Bible says he received back many, many more than what he received or what he had before, okay? So take a look at what you're doing with your finances in the last days. Don't let uh, the financial situation trouble you, okay? Because at the end of the day, you know, when you get your little thing from the uh, investment people, Vanguard, American Heritage, all these big companies that people invest in, and they send you those quarterly reports, you know, well, here's what I invested, and here's what it's worth. You understand, of course, that's just on paper, that's, you don't have that money. 
it's on paper that you have it, but you don't really have it. Are you listening? It's just a computer figure, okay? Now, if you go and ask for it, they'll give it to you. When they give it to you, then it's your money. They send you your check and you cash it and put it in the bank and you have money. That's your money. But just reading the report that says I'm worth a certain amount doesn't mean you have that amount to work with. It's very deceptive because that can be, that can be taken from you in a matter of hours. You know, study the, wall, study the stock market. People have been billionaires at 8 o'clock and poverty-stricken at 4 o'clock on certain days where the stock market goes down 800, 900 points or something beyond their control. So if you're generous with God, your investments are protected. Amen? Amen. Yeah, they're invested. They're invested and they're protected. So be generous. Don't be cheap in these perilous, troubling times in which we live. And then finally, number seven, and this is most important, and I save this for last, in all that we're talking about, focusing on the Word of God, being strong in faith and having joy, praying more, letting God's peace rule and reign, be outreach-minded, be a generous Christian, be a generous person. Number seven, the platform for all of this is remember that love never fails. Love never fails. Don't forget that Jesus said, by this you will know that all men, by this all men will know, I should say, that you are my disciples. If you have love, not if you have faith, not if you have tithing, not if you have a tithing record, not if you're a happy, peaceful person. He said, no, by the fact that you love all men will know, and I'm giving you a commandment to love. Now, once again, this is where Christians kind of fall apart because they confuse love with like. Uh, listen, I don't have to like you, and you don't have to like me, and we don't have to like each other. Have you discovered there's not everybody in the body of Christ that you like? Amen? A lot of people you don't like. Their, their personalities just rub you the wrong way. Okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because we're all different people and, you know, we have different likes and personality quirks and so forth and some people mix and some people don't. But it's not a command to like. It's a command to love and love is not a feeling. Like is a feeling. I like you so I spend time with you. I like you because you have the same sense of humor that I do. I like the way you dress. I like your whatever, you know, so I want to be with you because I like you. Okay, that's all superficial. That comes, that goes, is that changes all the time. But love is a is a commitment to see a valuable person as valuable in the eyes of the Lord. You see them through God's eyes, no matter how stupid they may be. And let me tell you, there are a lot of Christians out there that are pretty stupid. Okay, well, okay, I don't necessarily like that, but I'm I'm commanded to love you nonetheless. And it used to bother me a lot when I would encounter such people because in churches like this and in all churches there are lots of people at different levels of spiritual growth and maturity. So we have to be able to adjust, okay? I need to be able to come down to someone or I need to be able to look up to someone and adjust my conversation and my interaction with them depending upon my decision, not upon where they are. I'm making the adjustments, you know. I want to bring them up or I, if I need to come down to their level for a moment to, to reach them, I can do that without allowing their immaturity to wreck my day and to ruin my equilibrium and to steal my joy and all of this. And this used to bother me because, you know, you keep running into people that are just very immature. They may love the Lord and they're on their way to heaven, but they're just immature people. So they do immature things. They say immature things, things that offend you, things that upset you. Okay, so instead of allowing all of that to wreck your day, wreck your week, wreck your month, okay, God got a hold of me and I began to 
step back and try to see them through God's eyes and just kind of put up with things that before I wouldn't have the patience to put up with. Amen. Made my life a lot more docile, a lot more peaceful. You know, now when I encounter such people, I'll say to them, you know, God bless you. I'll just pray for you. God bless you. And they'll say something like, well, many times they've said, for what? And I will say in reply, you know, well, you know, the Bible says to love unlovely people. The Bible commands me to love unlovely people. You are the unloveliest person I have ever met. So carry on. Continue to be you. So I've got more material to work with, more time to practice, and just hang around because you are what I need to meet in order to be a better loving person because you are the ugliest person I know. Amen. It's very pastoral, don't you think? Praise the Lord. I'd probably have a congregation of three if I ever pastored a church. Me, my wife, and you know our pet. I don't know. Remember that love never fails. It always wins, okay? Uh, moods change, people change, situations change, but Jesus said love never fails. It might take a while for this to get through to somebody. It might take a while for you to see the triumph, but it will happen, okay? In some cases, you, you extend love to unlovely people for years and years and years, and you're so tempted to quit and give up on so many occasions, you just think, what, what is the, the point? They're just never going to get it, but love never fails. Sooner or later, you're sowing seeds into people's lives, and those seeds will come back, okay? And it doesn't just happen. You have to practice. You have to meditate on these verses. You have to, to, to uh, allow the Holy Spirit time to renew your mind to these things. Because as I said, if you don't understand this, you will forever be riding an emotional roller coaster in these last days. You'll be surrounded by unlovely people and you'll allow their unloveliness to just ruin your day. And you'll take it home with you and get into a fight with your husband or your wife or with your kids and your day's wrecked, you know. But we need to be people that just walk in love and take a step back and be peaceful. You know, I've learned, I'm, I'm learning, you know, when I drive in the, in the car, I'm learning to be a better person about just handling the other drivers on the highway. Praise the Lord. Now, in the Philippines, you can kind of get away with being rude and crass because everybody doesn't know what they're doing, so it's kind of like organized chaos over there. People are cutting everybody off and horns are blowing and, you know, whatever. But over here, it's more like I'm in my lane, you know, the lane mentality. You know, you're in my lane, I'm in your lane, he's in my lane, they're in my lane, whatever. So you know how it is. You, you, you got to go somewhere, you got to be somewhere in a hurry, and the devil knows it, so he puts, you know, ma and pa kettle in front of you, you know, driving Jed Clampett's old pickup truck about two miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone or 10 in a 50, and you're, you can't get around them, and you're mumbling, and you're grumbling, and you're getting more upset, you know, come on. Of course, you, you know, the first time you can whip around and go by, you give them the uh, Pentecostal look. You know, as you pass by and look at them, they don't care. They're having a nice day. <laughs> they're fine. They took their Shazam as Ann Carl, and they're doing just great. Very even keel, you know, driving down the highway. You know, they don't care. They're not going anywhere. So, of course, you know, you're all worked up. You go around, you whip around, you know, you drive to the next stoplight, and you get stopped, and guess who pulls up? right next to you, right behind you. And, you know, you look in the rearview mirror, and there they are. You know, you didn't gain anything, just got yourself all worked up over nothing. Amen. Or you're in the checkout line at the supermarket. I don't know about you, but do you ever read the sign that says express lane? And clearly it indicates 10 items or less. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I count the items in the carts ahead of me. Call me legalistic, call me narrow-minded, whatever, but I'm, I'm looking, okay, because they're in the wrong lane if they got 11 items in that cart, okay? So, of course, you know, God's trying to tell me, just shut up, would you just, just shut up? But I have to say something, you know, hey, you know, uh, 11 items, 11 items, see that sign, 10 items, but you got 11, you know. And, you know, you get into a big deal at the, uh, you know, it's never a good sign, you know. The devil just knows how to ring your bell. You know, you get into an argument with over one item, you know, you're counting the head of lettuce and the, the you know, V8 juice and whatever else in the cart, you know, and then they get angry at you. And then sooner or later someone says, well, what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a man of God. I'm a minister of the gospel, can't you tell? <laughs> ah, yes, love, praise the Lord. Of course, uh, the the checker gets on the uh, the intercom, you know, you know, Jimmy, price check, Jimmy, frozen orange juice, Jimmy, you know, frozen orange juice is 19 aisles over. You know, you got to, if Jimmy goes off with the camping equipment to find the orange juice, you know you're in trouble. Hallelujah. So many ways. But, you know, lo- love never fails. You got to pursue it. It doesn't happen. First Corinthians 14, 1 says, pursue love. Pursue it. I don't know of many people that are just naturally inclined to walk in love. I mean, you, you have to work at it because it, it goes crossways to our carnal nature. Our carnal nature is selfish and impatient with people. It goes crossways to that, okay? So I'm just talking about ways that in these very troubling, scary times, you can manage life in such a way that you can continue to move forward, stay in your lane, be productive for God, have an anointing, have some money in your pocket and some more money coming your way because God's got your back. And in essence, living your life in such a way that no matter how troubling the times become, you're not going to go and become troubled with it. Amen? Yeah. You know, we're almost at the end of 2015. This is already about halfway through October, a couple months ago, and we're already into 2016. Okay, time is moving by at a very accelerated pace. So whenever Jesus comes, let's be found in him, as he said, in faith, with our heads up, our eyes on the horizon, looking up, expecting him at any time. Amen? Men's hearts will be failing them for fear. We read that earlier today. Okay? There will be distress of nations with perplexity, but not for us. Amen? We'll be surrounded by people in perplexity and fear and doubt, but not us. We're different. And it becomes a witnessing tool that we can use to share Jesus with people. Amen?